Hi, and welcome to Drinking with Creatives, the weird uncle at the Christmas party that is your smartphone. My name is Jeremy Berger, a filmmaker and editor, and each week I chat with a professional creative, have a few drinks, and chat about the topics they're currently facing. Does talking about sex make you uncomfortable? Do descriptions of genitalia, even clinically, make you squirm? Well, this might not be the episode for you. Today I'm having a drink with Chris Comfort. He's a model, an actor, and most recently a photographer focusing on boudoir, fine art photography, and dark art erotica. This is a packed one, as we dive into setting up boundaries and permissions, trust between the artist and their subjects, eroticism as therapy for sexual trauma, and a whole bunch more. Grab yourself a beverage and a seat. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Chris, so the first and most important question, <laughs> what are you drinking? Ah, okay. So I have, uh, I got myself some watermelon the other day, which I love during the summertime. I've eaten more watermelon this summer than uh, probably the last five summers combined because wow. I'm just so dehydrated. I need, I'm so parched. But I got some uh, Brooklyn vodka. Uh, I think it's like wild apple elderflower or something. Oh. So it's an infused vodka from the company called Brooklyn Distillery, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I had some watermelon cut up and in a bowl already. So I poured a bunch of vodka in that and then put it in the freezer. And then I just poured that in my glass and add some seltzer to it. And that's what I'm drinking. Oh, God. That sounds and delicious. A big, big chunk of watermelon floating in it, too. So I have all kinds of, like... A plethora of flavors, but they all seem to be working okay together. So, you know, I'm just going with it. Wonderful. Now, I, now I feel a bit um, embarrassed here. I'm having a beer. I'm having a beer. <laughs> and it's uh, Sierra Nevada, lovely little West Coast okay, yep. pale ale. So, first of all, cheers to you. Happy Friday. Yes, sir. Same Good to you. For cheers. Absolutely. I'll just actually, I got the second bottle right here. So, hope that came through. Nice. Yep. Uh, I'm all about sound effects. So uh, <laughs> before we begin, why don't we, uh, why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you're up to, and how we can find you before we drink too much? Okay. Well, my name is Chris Comfort. Uh, I think today we're going to be talking about my photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a website, chriscomfortphotography.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, my email address is chriscomfortphotography at gmail.com. And uh, let's see, Instagram is at chriscomfortphotos. And, of course, my name is C-H-R-I-S-C-O-M-F-O-R-T, just like Southern Comfort and, uh, or Comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's Chris Com- at Chris Comfort Photos. Um, and uh, I think that's it. And I have a Patreon. I'm sorry, I just started my Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Chris Comfort Photos. And uh, I put that up uh, two months ago, I guess. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for everybody's listening, if uh, you're interested on any of those links, we'll have them in the liner notes that you can find on the website and hopefully your listening platform of choice. All right. So where do you turn for inspiration? Uh, well, I'm going to back up a little bit because you and I met at a, an acting school. Yes. Um, and uh, it was uh, Brad Calcaterra and... Um, I can't remember Jen's last name right now at the, mm-hmm. off the top of my head. but It was, it was the studio, right? Yeah, the, yeah yes. the Sally Johnson studio. Mm-hmm. And then they called it the studio. And uh, Brad was a teacher that I worked with in a class called Risk. Mm-hmm. And he, it was a stream of consciousness class. It was kind of a character development and one person show development class. And that's the one you did not attend. But mm-hmm. you, you came in the scene study class. But Brad's Risk class 
was where I learned all about um, our own genius and our own proclivities and how not only should, should we not hide those things that make us uniquely us, mm -hmm. however, you know, kinky or weird or shameful those, that, those things may, may be, mm -hmm. not only should we not hide them, but we should shine a light on those things because those are what make us unique. Mm -hmm. And whether they fuel us or give other people inspiration or are a place to start with with your art, that's how you come up with unique art that says something and again shows off your unique genius that is different from everybody else's. Mm -hmm. So I think it was partly from his class, uh, which led me into, um, which I told you in our previous conversation, I did a, a comedy talk show with a friend of mine whom I also met through Brad, a friend named Kenyon Phillips. And we did a comedy talk show. It was a sex talk show. And um, from there, I learned a lot about um, like sexual shaming and um, uh, very much a propensity for um, like body modification. Uh, I, I went down this rabbit hole about labiaplasty and why women get surgeries when they don't really need them because they think that there's something wrong with the way they look. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, there are injuries and things that need to be fixed or birth defects or things like that or whatever, uh, birthing trauma and that kind of stuff. But uh, a lot of that is just plastic surgeon making money mm -hmm. off of someone else's uh, imposed shame. Mm -hmm. And so that was the impetus for me getting into photography, actually. So uh, the very first thing I ever started shooting was something I called the Volvo Beautiful Project, which is a macro photography study of women's vulvas mm -hmm. and that's where I started with photography uh, it was right after a breakup uh, and I knew I needed to get into something that was going to occupy my head so I wouldn't go crazy and over the heartbreak of the breakup of course and so I uh, I started doing research about macro photography I didn't understand it I didn't know anything about it but I had uh, friends who were photographers who at least could lead me in the right direction and I slowly learned, and I had a couple friends. One of them owned an aesthetics school or an esthetician school. Mm -hmm. She had a Nikon camera with a macro lens, a 60 mil macro lens on it that she never used because they bought it to do skin studies, and they never learned how to use it. So she let me borrow the camera. And so I started using that and shooting with that. So um, that's where my photography began, and it's been just about five years in july uh oh wow happy anniversary yeah coming up so that's where it started and then everything else came after that excellent so all the headshots the new dance and acrobatics and all that stuff so uh i'm kind of in obviously i'm in the acting world i'm also sort of in the circus arts world mm -hmm. through that ex-girlfriend that i was breaking up with whom I'm now best friends with and she's one of my very important art partners by the way so we've actually rekindled our friendship and we're actually create amazing stuff together so that's awesome um, but she's an acrobat and a circus performer juggler handstand artist and we started doing acro yoga and other like partner acrobatics together when we were a couple and so I got more and more into that part of the performing world 
I started taking classes over at Circus Warehouse. I got to know people over there. I did a little bit of work over at the Muse, which is deeper in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. That's another circus arts school. And um, yeah, I just became part of that community. And so when I started shooting, I just started approaching people in those worlds and say, hey, I'm doing movement stuff. I'm doing nude movement stuff. Uh, I don't know if it's your thing, but I'd love to photograph you. Mm-hmm. And it's just like word spread and, you know, my reputation started to, started to build. And, you know, there, there are people in that world, in all worlds, you know, you'll find people who want to express themselves in the nude. You know, it's a very um, shamed part of our lives. And I think that it can be very empowering. Um, so giving that opportunity... And I try to build a reputation of, of creating a safe space for people to work. And uh, I started having more and more say in what I was shooting. But um, as I developed my, my style and my look, uh, a lot of it is very, uh, it's performative. It can also be, I do a lot of like really dark art stuff like uh, clowns, um, uh, baby dolls, uh, creepy stuff i guess like that that uncanny valley kind of a thing mm-hmm. uh science fiction i'm really drawn to science fiction and i think it's all from my formative years um watching sci-fi watching horror movies you know uh jacob's ladder uh the ring mm-hmm. um exorcist parts one and three um things like that and and drawing from those things and then saying you know how can nudity come into this and then i dare you to get turned on by this because it's too creepy but there's also a beautiful woman and i can see every part of her body but how do i feel about it so it's kind of a challenging thing that i just enjoy doing okay yeah so that's another aspect of my art um actually it's let me ask you this yep um and I just want to kind of give you like a background here. Uh, mm-hmm. Some number of years ago, let's not do the math on it, but <laughs> let's just say uh, one of the two of us was definitely in college at the time, coming from a central New York town that did not have either the internet or a great deal of exposure to the arts. Right. You know, that being said, the exposure that they did have was amazing. Just, you know, respect where respect is due. Sure. And I am shown by a friend in college my very first Robert Maplethorpe uh photo book Mm -hmm. which is gorgeous uh some of the best uh photography and printing that was also like a very big thing back in the film days of course sure and of course absolutely shocking to my brain so and then about two years ago a biopic comes out starring Matt Smith as Robert Maplethorpe so I'm just I guess I'm just wondering is there a lessening of the taboo surrounding eroticism in photography do you think um i think so i i I never want to like lose the forgive the term titillation so no i I think i I celebrate your usage of that term yeah i think i think that you know and 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 i think it's it's a weird balance i mean obviously i'm a man Mm -hmm. and so i am by definition a perpetuator a perpetuator of the male gaze and i Mm -hmm. get that but I don't want to lose what's exciting about it. But 
I think there's something different between ad- admiration or quiet arousal versus some kind of like aggression mm. or like the kind of arousal where the viewer demands something of the viewee. That's not okay. And I think that, you know, but on, by the same token, I can't tell someone how to feel about my photographs, for example. So someone might look at my Volvo pictures and jerk off. Another person might throw up. Another person might, you know, try to claw their own eyes out and pray to God. Who knows? I can't tell them what to think. And I'm not going to try to. And I'm not, I don't care. Um, I know what I was shooting that for was to try to get rid of the shame. Women, specifically women who have got long inner, inner labia or darker skin, those kinds of things that seem to have a, a shame to them that was so unnecessary because I think that's a very beautiful thing in, on a woman. Um, and I'm particularly attracted to women with long labia. So that, you know, just to throw myself under the bus on that one, you know, I find it really attractive. And I think that to kind of champion all shapes and sizes, but definitely that um, is what that project is about. But I can't make everybody see it like that. Um, but what I don't want and what I will never stand for is someone looking at the art and then trying to track down the model and trying to get something from them or trying to get a, a response from them or, Has you that know, happened to you? Um, I've I come across, like, close. Like, people have been like, hey, what's this person's Instagram handle? I'm like, well, she wants to be, you know, this particular person wants to be uh, anonymous. Or, and I don't, I, I'm not faulting that person for wanting to see the Instagram. It's what happens after that with messages and things like that. And I get it. I mean, I've messaged people on Instagram to, to shoot, but I don't, I, th- I think there's a, there's an aggression to certain people. It's just like, it's like the cat calling. It's a difference between somebody who's silently noticing a beautiful woman, no matter what he's thinking, mm-hmm. it, it's silent. And the, and the woman or the person is, unaware and blissfully unaware of that versus a cat call, which is trying to, you know, trigger a response. They're, they're, they're aggressively trying to get something out of that person that they are admiring, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So I think those are two completely different things. And I think that we want to desexualize things, but we don't, by the same time, they can still be sexual or sexy or, Mm -hmm or beautiful or erotic or whatever, I think it's about the demand for a response has to go away. Mm-hmm. I think admiration or whatever you think in your own mind by yourself in silence is fine. But you don't get to demand a response from the person. And I think that's where that cat call thing has to go away. And any, any, any form of that... Does that make sense to you? Like, like where the cat call kind of permeates. Oh, things? absolutely. Yeah. Especially in the internet sphere. Yeah. Um, and the, and the example I'm going to bring up of prudent wisdom on the part of a content provider to try and tamper down upon that kind of toxic influence that can grow and fester is absolutely unrelated to your art. But 
I just heard that a town in uh, upstate New York, Syracuse, their main newspaper, just disabled all comments from all viewers. Uh, oh, wow. Just to – because they were just getting, at best, some nuanced response, mm-hmm. at best, and mm-hmm. then it just quickly declined to – uh, hateful, sometimes even like porn. And again, we're not even talking about necessarily uh, charging imagery here. We're talking about like weather reports oh, right. and people too bored. So if you up the stakes, you know, I feel in any way, especially with erotic photography, then one can only expect, I imagine, an incremental uh, climb towards that level of toxicity. Oh, yeah. And, um, I mean, I kind of just think after reading that, it's like, uh, you know, I think just comments should maybe just be deleted because I can't remember the last time I ever found a single one of them useful to begin with. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I would hate to cut off contact between, you know, a content provider, be it yourself or a small town newspaper or the New York Times from having a direct dialogue with the people that are absorbing that content. Right. I think it was... Content. Back when Maplethorpe had had the book and then you saw the film, obviously things were safer because it was a one-way communication. It was like, here's the stuff, take it and go, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas now you have that back and forth. And it is powerful, but it gives voice to too many people who probably shouldn't have a voice or shouldn't have the kind of influence that they have Mm -hmm. because it's either unintelligent or it's coming from to use your word talk you know toxic places Mm -hmm. or boredom or you know or just kids messing around and wanting to get a rise out of somebody i mean i you know i listen to to joe rogan and he talks Mm -hmm. about not wanting to or whitney cummings you know a couple of stand-up uh comedians who also have podcasts and they talk about you know people who who write horrible comments and then when you reply to those things they're like oh i didn't think you read this i was just trying to you know get your attention And it's like, okay, that's fine, but there are, you know, or people who come from different sociopolitical backgrounds who think they're on a mission to do something, you know, whether it's someone from a different country or from the middle of this country or something where they think they're doing, you know, the Lord's work or, you know, someone else's work. They think they're doing, they're they're answering to a higher power and that's just not true, you know, so they're just... You know, they're they're on their own kind of mission to, to do something. I feel like half of the time when my content gets flagged on Instagram, it's more benign than most of the stuff I've seen on there. But someone's on a mission. They think they're doing someone else's work, and they think they're doing everybody a favor by policing. And that's my theory, but I feel like it's a pretty strong theory. So, Do they ever, like, respond to you directly, or is it only through the no. uh, public policy of oh, just, so it's only through Instagram. It's just like, and, I, and again, this is just my theory. I'm just speculating. Literally. Yeah. But I think there's some truth possibly to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not putting any fingers. I'm just saying that, you know, because, you know, I know that Instagram is also changing their rules. And it, they're more stringent than they used to be three or four years ago when I got on there. Mm-hmm. and Or when I started putting my photography on there, at least. You know, so I get it, but by the same token, I, you know, I'm, I'm following the rules more than a lot of other people, but maybe because I don't have that many followers, I'm not important to Instagram, so they don't mind, you know, shadow banning me or taking my stuff down or referring to it as a, you know, a, a, 
it's against their policies, even though it, it technically isn't. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't care, but that's why I put up the Patreon, for example. You know, I, f- I felt like I was just, I'm not trying to make money per se. I'm just trying to get a little passive income because photography is so, so expensive. It's, oh, it's yeah. unbelievably expensive. I mean, never mind the cameras and the lenses and the lights. I mean, I've gone through three RAID array hard drives and have replaced two of them. Oh. Uh, free of charge replacements, but they are 800 bucks a piece. And no one knows about that. Nobody who I photograph even understands that part or the cloud storage and the mm-hmm. monthly subscription to Adobe. Or, you know, it's, it's so unbelievably expensive. Yes. And, you know, if I'm not charging, if somebody wants to do a shoot but not pay me, I've got to get something out of it. So, um, and my time, never mind my skills or my time or my, what I'm bringing to the table. Just in equipment alone, it's, it's unbelievably expensive. So, Well, don't worry, because you'll get paid, for, paid in exposure. Right. You'll get paid I mean, in exposure. Right, because exposure bucks will pay. I mean, my, my, my landlord, you know, funnily enough, is not taking exposure bucks yet. Oh but maybe God. I can. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I've had to tell people, I'm, look, I'm not, I'm not a charity that owns a camera. I'm... I'm a working artist, and if you don't want to pay me, then we have to do a trade that's in line with what I'm doing. Absolutely. Which is an interesting conversation to have. And at first, I wasn't doing that. I was just doing, you know, I'd ask people to to shoot, but I wouldn't do, you know, some kind of a release or anything. So then I I can't really use the the images the way I use the shoots nowadays Mm -hmm. because I learned. I learned the hard way. They're not really my image. I mean, they are. Technically, the photographer owns the images. Yes. But if you don't get a release, it's not as cut and dry. So, No, it is not. No. So I learned the hard way. I said, you know, I have a really, really clear conversation with everybody. And lo- I say, look, you know, because people come to me a lot, you know, ever since I started shooting a lot of the circus artists or the dancers or anything, and, and people see their friends and they come to me and say, hey, I want, I want to shoot with you. And then they say, I have this idea, and I, I say, you know, and, and they want to, you know, quote unquote, collaborate, which is, I've learned can mm-hmm. be code for, hey, shoot my thing for me for free. Yep. And that's fine. But then they have to do the nude work. And it's not just a little nude. It's very nude. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't put it all on Instagram, but everything shows. Everything is yeah. going to show. And if you're not okay with it, that's fine. But then we'll talk about my, my rate for shooting your thing. Absolutely. You know, and, it's, but, and you th- it sounds reasonable, right, when we're talking about it right now. And, of course, you know it from the same end that I know it. Yes. But you would be surprised at how many people balk at that. And and are kind of set back by it. And I'm like, well, my art is the nude stuff, and it's very er- erotic, and it's very, you know, it pushes those boundaries. And every time I shoot, I want to push the boundaries more. Mm-hmm. You know, so even when I was shooting two years ago, I've gone further than that, and I won't go back to that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do something really subtle and, you know, implied, that's fine, but that's been done a billion times. That's not where I am. So... Mm-hmm. That's something I'll, I will gladly do for hire. Mm-hmm. But, and I've even, for some people, like I have a, a great friend who's a lawyer by trade. And, you know, I gave her a mask. And so, you know, the stuff we shoot is very erotic. Because mm-hmm. she gets to express herself in a way that's safe. 
you know, and she doesn't have to worry about there's no tagging of anything and she, her identity her identity is completely hidden and it gives it allows her to express herself and we're not you know romantic partners or sexual partners at all but mm-hmm. she does stuff in front of the camera that you know probably pushes the envelope for as much as I've ever done it but because it's what I'm shooting it works in my world with the mask is just like a clown is just like a creature is just like a character mm-hmm. so it works in that thing and it's erotic so it's kind of like that juxtaposition like I said earlier of you know here's that creepy mask I dare you to get turned on by it <laughs> so it works in that way and she gets to do something in front of a camera that she couldn't possibly do otherwise and with somebody she feels safe with so it's a nice friendship now you see I, that that's something I, that that leads nicely into one of the other kind of big subjects I'd like to talk to you about um, mm-hmm. and in case anybody listening does not know uh, like many other industries uh, the fashion photography world especially anything related to a brand has been rocked by just endless allegations of sexual misconduct and yeah. one of the most famous ones among them is uh, Terry Richardson oh, who, yeah. uh, those allegations started way back in 2001 and mm-hmm. I, know, I believe as of 2018 he I believe in 2018 he started getting investigated by the actual special victims unit of the NYPD oh, wow. how that ended up I'm, I'm not sure sure um, but he was doing, and by by he, I would I should also say they, as in this, you know, cadre. Now that's a bad term to use because that implies, you know, uh, that this was planned or something. But right. a lot of these fashion photographers were doing sexually uh, explicit things, uh, holding their power over uh, female models, uh, and, and like if it got photographed, it wasn't for the client. Right. Uh, whereas you. Um, in your art are actually pushing far more boundaries. Sure. And I would just like, I almost feel like this is a great opportunity for you to uh, refresh anybody who might be thinking of getting into photography about uh, what does uh, permit setting up the area of permissions and boundaries look like to set up a safe space sure. for learning. Well, first of all, I'm not perfect. Like nobody is. And I'm learning all the time and I'm lucky that I've been, you know, as safe as I have been and and the lessons I've learned have come with minimal cost and have been with friends who kind of just reflect back to me, you know, on that rare occasion that something happens or like, you know, just navigating with somebody together and saying, you know, because I didn't know what to do at first. Like I did a nude shoot and I'm like, I asked one of my friends, I remember I said, am I supposed to get naked also? She goes, no. (laughs) and it wasn't like she even had experience with it either i think she just wanted to feel beautiful and she wanted to feel special so if i got naked too it would be like she wasn't that special anymore huh and then i which i get and i completely understand because i've been in front of the camera i was a model for 20 years before i started shooting so and i've done some nude stuff and i've even done some nude stuff since then some of it rather racy because i've you know, I've had the opportunity to kind of show up and put up where I was asking other people to do the same kind of thing. So I took that opportunity to do it. But um, I think I think you have to be really clear. This is never – it's always about the photograph, however salacious or however erotic or whatever. 
it's about the work only. And I've even made rules when I've had attractions and I have ended up having relations with people I photographed, but never during the shoot. Right. And always, and even if we both know what's going on, the clothes have to go back on. A conversation has to ha be had. But that's essentially just ignore that last part because that's not going to ever happen for most people. It's just one of those rare things where there was a mutual attraction or something. Unless I'm already a partner with that person, you know, or I've already had a sexual relationship with that person. And even then, you have to navigate that appropriately and not ever mix those things. Mm -hmm. Because my art comes from my proclivities. It does. I'm not going to shoot something if I'm not attracted to it. Or I'm not going to shoot a person if I'm not attracted to them in some way. I mean, why would I? You know, if they're not paying me, I'm going to shoot what I want to shoot and what I want to see. So, yes, I'm going to be shooting the things that I'm attracted to or the, or the sexual acts that, I, that turn me on. Those are the things I want to photograph. But that doesn't mean that person is all of a sudden part of my sexual life. And that's never the case. And it can never be the case. I think a really clear conversation ahead of time um, with the models to say, this is what I expect. This is what you're getting in return. And if you don't like it, I completely understand, but we're not going to do the shoot. Because mm -hmm. I'm really solid in where I am. I'm also, you know, I feel young, but I'm 50 years old. I don't have the, the same kind of hormonal drive that makes me stupid sure. and, 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 and clouds my judgment the way, you know, and, you know, maybe some would argue. But I feel like I'm not like a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, whatever, even someone in their 40s. I mean, I've just, I got Netflix. I've got Amazon Prime. I can just sit here and watch a movie. I don't need, I don't need a headache. And I don't, when reputation is everything, especially like it is when you're f shooting predominantly in a single microcosm or, 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 or a community, mm -hmm. reputation is everything. And so you have to conduct yourself well, even if you're just trying to get the next shoot. Once you do... And I've seen it. I've literally seen it. An, another fo photographer who I won't name, who I've never met before, but I knew his work. And once one person came out, it was a, it was a landslide. And he just dis completely disappeared. And this is a guy who shot stuff that was kind of similar to me, except it involved body paint. And he would paint the women, even their private parts. And then he would insist on getting naked himself oh. during the shoot. And this is before I even asked my friend about that thing. You know, I, like I, I was so ignorant I didn't know. But I'm glad she told me what she told me because then I heard this thing about this other photographer. And this is much more recently, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a year and a half or so ago. Oh, wow. And he has completely disappeared. But he would use intimidation. He would drive them around. It was just, just male predatory behavior. And I mean, I have, I've done photo shoots with women. Like I did a, I mean, I'll get pretty graphic here if I may. I don't know what the. I'm going to have an NSFW thing on it. Okay. So okay. So one of the, one of the shoots I did was kind of a, a BDSM shoot and was a friend who I was not sexually uh, involved with. Mm -hmm. And we decided we we're going to use chopsticks around her labia using okay. rubber bands on either end and almost like a, 
kind of like a gentle torture device, you know, like a, like a punishment device. And she was getting over some sexual trauma that she had had when she was younger, some forced sexual activity okay. and whatever else. And we came to this thing together and it was a passing back. And this is probably our third or fourth shoot. The first one was no nudity. The second one was nudity, but implied. And then, but we were such good friends for years prior to that, that by the time we got to this, we, um, we had a really solid relation. We already had a really solid friendship, but it had gone to a whole new level where she was nude and then we were going to do the chopsticks thing. And there was the only way for us to do it was for me to touch her labia in order to get this, these chopsticks on her and then have her spread her legs. And we even did like a bondage type thing. Mm-hmm. And we talked through it beforehand. And with each step, I said, okay. So if we're going to do this, I'm going to need to touch you here. And I'm going to do this and that and that. And she goes, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was seamless because it only involved the placing of the chopsticks and then the removal of the chopsticks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did another thing with another friend where we were using a, a line art thing. And I had to draw from her vaginal opening out. Mm-hmm. And, and it was something we discussed beforehand. And we talked and, you know... I had to tell her to shave everything, you know, front and back and this and that. And then we did the line art mm-hmm. and that again. And we talked about it. So do you want me to go ahead and touch you? Uh, I think that's probably going to make the most sense. And she goes, yeah, that's totally fine. And then we just talked as we went. Mm-hmm. And I think it was fine. And maybe I'm a unique person here. I, I'm, I don't want to sit here and say I'm giving advice to everybody because I think that's a really, really, really specific thing and a really specific relationship to have with people. So I'm not sitting here and condoning just any photographer go out and do this. Oh, and I'm no. not, yeah. But by the same token, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I just think that you have to have a really unique perspective on things and a really unique relationship with people. And I'm not saying it can't be done, but I'll be hard-pressed to find anyone who can quite get there, although I hope they can. I don't know. I'm not even quite sure how I got there, but I did. So, and those shoots were fine and they were completely safe and there was some minor contact, but not in a way that I didn't like accidentally stroke a clitoris or, or do too much. I did what was necessary. And then like even positioning labia and stuff, I might've had to reach in and do a little bit more, but it was like, none of it was, like extra, extra, and none of it was pushed to lead to anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, um, again, I'm not perfect, and I know that, but having a really solid awareness and a, almost like I'm determined to never cross a line ever, almost as if you're giving yourself a challenge to kind of achieve that each time because. It's really delicate stuff. And giving the experience is half of what you're doing, you know, in, in boudoir or neo-boudoir photography. It's not just the photographs that you're giving. You're giving empowerment, and you're, or you could easily take that away, too. Mm-hmm. So you have to be so careful. And when you realize that the experience is as important as the photographs themselves, you'll realize how important the conduct is. Um, yes. Okay. I mean, I have, I, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I went back, I, I collected a bunch of testimonials 
from when I shot. Um, this is before COVID hit. I was going to relaunch my boudoir business, and I asked a few key people to write testimonials for me. And what they wrote was amazing. And it almost, it almost, some of them caught me off guard because I didn't realize how important the experience was. And I, I could have guessed it, I guess, but seeing it in writing is a different thing. Absolutely. And I think that it was a nice reminder that, I, that, that that is as important as anything else. Never mind the fact that it's illegal and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not right to do it. But more importantly, you can be a champion for people. And I still get what I need out of the shoot. Mm-hmm. I still get the erotica. I still get the nudity. I still get the, the character stuff and the creepiness and the beauty and all that stuff. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it otherwise. I'd have to move on to a different hobby or a different career path. Mm-hmm. But I think I've been lucky. And I, so because I feel like I've been so lucky, I have to strive harder all the time to be more aware of that stuff and just keep moving forward like that and give the experience because that's as important. The technical skill is very important, but that interpersonal communication is, is, is more important really. Um, Cause that will, that will kind of, that'll shadow whatever the experiences of looking at the photos afterwards, you know, huh. And I think a person will see two different photographs depending on how that experience was, whether it was a good experience or a bad experience. And now literally, and the tone in their voice will, will change the way their friends see those photos when, when they're being shown off, you know? Mm. Um, I think that makes a big difference is that experiential thing. Well, it's interesting because everything that you told me just signals clear and absolute communication. Uh, yes. between you and your models on set. Yeah. Uh, which is really kind of awesome to hear coming from a, a, a person whose background is in acting. Yeah. That's kind of great. Um, yeah. That's, that's a class and direction right then and there, especially under such intimate standards. Yeah. I, I think that... Um, I think when you realize that you're in the business of giving experiences and not just photographs, I, the, the problem with photography is it's such a technical medium mm-hmm. that I think we have a lot of people who spend a lot of time by themselves looking at camera gear online or in catalogs and then researching and then learning the science. And then, you know, maybe, maybe people came from darkroom, you know, life. So they had all that time by themselves and just didn't develop the interpersonal part of the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know. And then they get in front of a person and don't know what to do or what to say. They just maybe don't have interpersonal skills and don't think that that's important because they're a photographer. But when you realize that's the most important thing, that it kind of disqualifies some people from doing the job. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it's necessary, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it's, not, it's not just who, can, who knows the best, you know, how to handle the gear or who knows the, you know, the inverse square law or, or, you know, the, the triad of aperture speed and ISO and whatever the thing is, you know, whatever the, the math is behind it. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, lighting. Can I share a theory of mine about that? Sure, please. Because uh, in the you know in the film world we have that to no end, especially now with the onset of cheaper digital technologies oh, where everybody yeah. can get a cinema camera in their mm -hmm. hands. And I think I figured it out after watching several um, accomplices of mine, I guess probably be the best sure. term. Let's <laughs> go with that. Um, just blow through credit cards, uh, getting the latest gear, getting the newest gear, and they put these like Franken rigs on their shoulders. I couldn't tell what the, <laughs> the camera was. Right. And it occurred to me, honestly after submitting some of the cuts of some of the stuff that i was doing at the time to other people for review and how i like would hear this comment like hear like the comments coming back about the story structure the flow etc cetera, etc cetera. and then find myself like okay i'm gonna get right back on that but first i want to go check out nofilmschool.com and just right. see if there's any new camera information because it's an easy <laughs> problem to solve right and that's and I think it's you know um, what would be a good term for it gear whoredom no sure. that's yeah no, well, let's I, go with that you, you th that's yeah good. I mean okay. you know a, a gear nerd a gear slut a gear yeah. whatever no I'm I'm with you a thousand percent yeah Bob Dylan plays a you know thirty dollar nylon string guitar he picked up in Mexico yeah he doesn't need a stack of speakers and the latest Fender equipment he still right. makes great music. And there's nothing wrong with gear, but when your whole focus and your whole point of view comes from that, you're in the wrong world. Yeah. Be, a, be a salesman, be a camera rep, be a uh, technician, be a, a repair person, but don't be a photographer with people. You can even do landscapes, you know, but if you don't have the interpersonal skill, you know, because you become a, what's it called, guy with camera? Yeah, GWC, uh, GWC. Is that a term? Yeah. I did not know that yeah. was a term. And I, and I am skirting very closely on the edge of that because I'm a guy with a camera and I get it. But it's like, but, you know, I also came from a background, you know, I was 20 years as a model, but I was also 20 years as a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. And I was all, and I was always the personal trainer who took care of the special cases. And I feel like it was that care, that level of bench side manner for the people who weren't strong or who had special issues or conditions like low back issues or had obesity and were ashamed about going into the gym. I mean, is, I'm sorry, is that what you mean by special cases? I'm a little unfamiliar with Sorry, that. like, um, like special populations. Sorry, special okay. populations. Yeah, like people, who, not your general fitness client who wants to just, you know, trim down and tone up or something, mm -hmm. but have come in... And I, like one of my best friends who became one of my most important f photography muses and collaborators mm -hmm. was originally a personal training client. She's the one who had the macro lens, uh, okay. the one who owned the esthetician school. Mm -hmm. And we did one of the most heartbreaking and profound projects I ever thought I'd ever do called Stolen Sexuality. And it came from... She was obese when she came to me, and, you know, she's still struggling with her weight because she has endometriosis, uh, and she had hormone therapy to try to get pregnant. What she didn't oh. remember and had blocked out was that she was molested as a child by Catholic priests and then later gang-raped and left oh. for dead when she was in college. And those things were blocked out until she tried to get pregnant. 
And that turned into one of the most profound photography projects I'd ever done. And we did an art show called Stolen Sexuality. And that was, she was a supporter of mine. She was a huge benefit to me and a benefactor of mine. And then we also, I learned a lot about photography through those shoots. Because we would go for long trips and they were very um, personal. They were very vulnerable. Uh, her husband trusted us and let us just go and do our shoots and there was no inappropriate contact and we came we were like really close friends for a long time um and i think i got that from being a personal trainer my mom was a nurse growing up so maybe that like care aspect of what my mom imprinted onto me i think came into play of like taking care of the people who needed it the most Mm -hmm. You know, and then that's how my training went. And when I got into photography, not all of it is like that, of course, but that's definitely an aspect that I try to keep up with. The person who needs it, the person who needs to be empowered, the person who needs to heal, like the friend with the chopsticks, you know, who had trauma herself when she was, you know, just becoming sexually active and then was holding on to that trauma and shame. And by doing the S&M stuff that we had done for the photos, and even some photos where I was in the scene with her, but we still had rules of engagement, and I respected those rules, and we never crossed those boundaries. So, you know, but it made for a better photograph. And, um, and I won't always do that. I don't like to cross those lines. But with her, we were such good friends that it made sense. Um, or like with, you know, the stolen sexuality project, I did get into the photo in one, uh, one shot, um, which I should probably send to you. Let's see here. Um, I don't know if I can send it via zoom since we're not really on there right now. I don't know. Can I, can I send something on a chat? Uh, There's a chat functionality. Will it allow for photographs? That's a great question. Let's find out right now. (laughs) Let's see here. File. My computer. All right, let's see what happens here. I just think it's interesting to, to talk about that, you know. Um, I don't want to, like, digress too much and, or go down a rabbit hole, but I but feel like... at the same like... time, I also feel like it's an important subject to consider. We're living in a world right now where, for I mean, we're having a conversation about race right now that's yeah. long overdue. And right before that, we had a conversation about consent that is ongoing and i think is is going to go, kind of define what's up and coming for the next generation of creatives who want to push boundaries but want to be able to do it in a how would i describe it a safe if uncomfortable environment because you should yeah. never be comfortable like, you know sidebar if uh, if anybody right. listening to this is trying to be creative and they're comfortable you, you, one of those things is not happening with the other right um agreed so I think proceeding with that in mind so that we can root out the, just going to name drop him again, Terry Richardson. Yeah. Um, that guy's a monster. Yeah. And, you know, be able to reinforce, as you say, empowerment and positivity so that we can achieve something new, achieve something that we haven't seen before. Because if we're not going to do, if we're not going to reach for that goal, then what are we doing in this business to begin with? Yeah. Is that no, fair? Of course. I mean, that's, and, and that's what, you know, Brad imparted on me mm-hmm. as a student early on. It was like, you, 
if you're not showing what's special about you or what's specific about you, then you're just copying other people. You know, that's why I don't want to go backwards with the work I do unless it's for a paid shoot. You know, a client pays me and they go, well, I want to do boudoir, but I don't want to show everything. I'm like, okay, well, this is your shoot. Whatever you want to do is fine. Mm -hmm. But if someone comes to me and wants to do a quote-unquote collaboration or a trade, mm -hmm. I'll give them what they're looking for, but then I want what I need out of that shoot as well. Absolutely. Um, I can't find the photos right now, so I'm not going to bother with it. But okay. I'll send it to you, and you'll see you'll see what I'm talking about. It's called uh, Priest or Puppeteer is the name of the photo. And um, I think it's pretty telling of the of what she was going through and what – see if I can find it like that. Um, you know – it was a metaphor, of course, but it was, um, it was, oh, here we go. This is a big file. We'll see if it'll come across here. Okay, it's uploading. It's 12.45 megs, but we'll see if it uploads. And you'll see, and I'm in the photo. Now, technically, we shot the photo separately. Mm -hmm. I set the camera, and I, when she was up on the, the altar, um, you should be getting it now. Um, when she was up on the altar, I put uh, the strings of the shoe of the of the of the image onto a light stand, and I was down on the ground because she had PTSD. There was some triggering that could possibly happen, and so I had to be careful with her. And we had rules of engagement about that too, and how I would deal with her if she started slipping away or going into some kind of like episode so mm -hmm. we I had to navigate a lot with that and then when it was my turn I went up and uh, it, essentially I'm holding a cross mm -hmm. but puppeteer strings are coming out of the cross and they're yes. going to, to nipple clamps and then a, a string around her throat and a string around her ankles and it's mm -hmm. meant to show that the priest is you know playing with their subjects like a like a puppeteer would Yes, I'm and very right sexually. Yep. Yeah. So you can see. So technically, we were not in the same place at the same time on this shoot, on this picture. Mm -hmm. I shot it separately, and then I photoshop, I composited it in Photoshop. It's a but clean composite too. Yeah. Just yeah. Te yeah. Tech, te I know I'm talking tech right here, but right. That's well, uh, and I'm pretty proud of it because that was four years ago or three years, uh, almost four years ago, mm -hmm. according to the date. Nine three sixteen is the date. And so I didn't know nearly what I know now. So I'm really proud that I was able to do what I did with Photoshop. We were also in a rented, uh, like a home away. It's sort of like a Airbnb, but for houses. Oh, wow. And okay. we rented a house in the Finger Lakes that was a converted church. So we drove six hours to this place and mm -hmm. stayed the entire weekend and shot in this place. Mm -hmm. But it's a church. Wow. And so we, I set dressed it with all the candles and the... You know, the altar had become the kitchen island, but we put a sheet over it and we made it look like a proper. That's a kitchen island? Yeah, that's a kitchen island now. But I covered, I put in the background, I put a big black scrim just mm -hmm. under that window. That's why the black is just under those. Um, and what you don't see on the left is a, the refrigerator. <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, we got some candelabras and we got a bunch of candles and just lit it up and then. I had taken the photo of the window from earlier in the day when light was still coming through, and then I composited the window back in as well so that mm -hmm. you could see the 
stained glass of the, f the window just as a hint of it in the background. And then I bought a, a priest costume from Halloween Adventures or something. So, yeah, so it was very planned, but yeah. we didn't know what we were going to get till we got there. It's funny, the lighting is very, um, it's very, uh, I can't tell if the area was Renaissance painting, yes. but it's very... Caravaggio. Caravaggio, I, I, yes. Yeah, I, get, I get that all the time with all my stuff. My friend Kenyon, he was the first one to use that, you know, that the painter Caravaggio. Um, and I didn't know anything about it until I, until he said it and other people said it and I did some research. Uh, I'm just drawn to it. I don't know if it's, a, again, I don't know if it goes, like, I don't love horror films. I don't love slasher films, but I love Supernatural. Okay. Not, not new stuff. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, like, Fright. Right. Uh, but I like things like Stranger Things. Oh, absolutely. Um, I love, because it has that sci-fi element to it, but it's also very dark and very, or uh, uh, Under the Skin, that, that indie film with Scarlett Johansson, that Scottish indie film. I haven't seen it yet. But oh, man. Whoa. Talk about, like, cinematography also. Oh, yeah. Or, or like, even modern things like uh, Arrival or, you know, and I've mentioned the older stuff like The Ring or... Um, species anything where you know hr giger was involved in the design of it like alien and aliens and all those things you know so i feel like those things whether i realize it or not are informing the things i shoot because i like those things they print on your visual memory yeah they do and and why not you know why not pay all you know homage to them i'm not gonna you know belittle this photo that i did with my friend for her show mm -hmm. and say that, you know, it was informed by alien, but I'm sure they're, you know, Caravaggio or so, you know, there's something very, very, yeah. Otherworldly and other timely about it. And yes. I can't even explain it sometimes. First of all, before we continue about this photograph, if yep. somebody listening to this did want to view it, would they be able to view it on your Patreon? I'm going to put this up sometime soon. I got her permission to put it up. Oh, we, did, we did the show, uh, I guess it was the summer of 2017. Mm -hmm. She paid She paid me very well. Mm -hmm. uh, she was incredibly uh, generous and incredibly giving and an you know, incredible partner to work with. And it was very sweet. I couldn't have done it without her help, you know, because I needed that kind of like because of the gear I was buying and the time I was taking off. But also it just it just she was a huge part of my moving forward as a photographer and taking myself seriously because I was doing work with her that was so important, you know, and it wasn't with somebody who was like, you know, she would always belittle herself and say, I'm not one of your beautiful dancers or performers and I never wanted her to throw money at me because of that. She right. just offered, I never gave her a rate for anything. She just offered the money and I would say, yeah, that sounds right. Or no, that's too much. Let's find something in between, you know, or whatever. And, but I also needed it. I needed that help from her. So I took it. And I think in, in, in response, I try to give her, all I could give of care and awareness and presence and, you know, 
we were already really good friends, and she was always already a very important personal training client of mine. And I al already set up a very important, caring relationship with her in that way. But I feel like obviously dealing with sexuality and the damage she had had endured, you know, she couldn't get pregnant because her uterus was too damaged. That's oh. why she couldn't get pregnant because of the, the gang rape. Oh. And that, I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget getting to the bottom of that, first of all, as a training client, because I had to navigate that thing and understand why she was resistant to certain exercises or why she couldn't look in a mirror or why we couldn't do certain movements. And as a trainer, I knew that these things were important, but then I could tell there was something else going on. And it was only after I chipped away that she started telling me more and more over a few years of friendship and professional relationships. So mm -hmm. it's tricky. It's, it's tricky to navigate because you've got to be really, you know, I'm not professionally trained as a therapist. So I might have been treading in water that maybe I didn't quite belong, but I never overstepped or, or, or professed to, to, to have the abilities I didn't have. So she knew where I was coming from and she knew that I only knew what I knew. So, but I think I grew substantially just from that interaction and from those seven photo shoots that we did over like a, a year and a half period together. Um, and navigating that with someone who was, had so much stuff in her past, but also had so much love and so much uh, confidence in me and support for what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just an incredible mutual f relationship. And I hope she feels the same way. You know, we've kind of gone our separate ways a little bit, but I hope that, I hope she will always look back on this thing and know that there was positive healing because the, the way she described it, it was monumental. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that's always the case for her, you know? So, yeah. um, and again, it was not anything that I was skilled at doing. I'm not taking credit for it, but I navigated it. I got through it, and it was scary. And I kind of trusted in myself, you know, through, again, I still give Brad credit for so much stuff. Like, just knowing that we, we don't have to hold each other's baggage, but we can be there for each other. And, you know, we can be there for each other without being responsible for stuff. You know, I learned so much from him and from the studio. It was way more than an acting class. I'll say that. I kind of wish you had been in that class just so you could have seen what, even just once, had seen what I was talking about. Mm. It was pretty profound. Um, anyway, sorry, I, I went on a tangent there. But no, no, it's, it's a I apologize. Great no, don't apologize whatsoever. No, this is fantastic. I mean, we all talk about, uh, you know, whatever our, whatever we create coming back and influencing you know life around us in whatever way it potentially can uh errol morris's famous documentary thin blue line got a guy off a death row yeah. um yeah my favorite painter who of course his name is escaping me right now um <laughs> you know processed his relationship with his father mm -hmm. and the idea that he would never know him like there it's always a oh. personal story that we it, it's 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 a rough bag I follow a woman named Kit King who's, uh, I think she's Canadian. She's a, a painter, and she is absolutely brilliant. And I got to the point where I was chatting with her on Instagram, and 
saying, you know, if you ever make it to New York City, I would love to shoot the photos for, you know, whatever her content. Like, I wasn't trying to do nudes of her. I just wanted to do content. Mm -hmm. I was so impressed with her work. And she said that she's, she, is, uh, she has anxiety and she has, uh, what's the, what's the, what's the um, she, she just doesn't travel. She doesn't like to travel and she doesn't like to leave. Agoraphobia? Yeah, I think okay. that's what, yeah. She just, I think she just, she doesn't go to all her shows or something. I'm not sure oh, if it's no. agoraphobia, but I feel like yeah. it was something along those lines where uh, she, I may never get to meet her. You know what I mean? And yes. she's a genius and uh, quite a beautiful woman as well. And her husband is amazing too. He's also a painter. And, you know, if I would have had a chance to meet the two of them and photograph them, I would have been in heaven. But mm -hmm. that may never happen because she doesn't leave her, her, inner, her inner microcosm or her inner you know, dwelling or whatever, because she just anxiety or travel anxiety or whatever the thing is, you know? Mm. Um, and it's a shame, but it's, I get it, but that's probably what makes her such an amazing artist or an amazing, like such amazing attention to detail, for example, you know, it's like, so yeah, it's, it's tricky. What, what motivates us or what propels us to do things? Especially Again, I don't have... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, especially I was just going to say when we're not quite aware of it ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I know I have my own history and I have things, but they're not that dark. Mm -hmm. I think what, you know, a class like what Brad had helped me with was just locking into my proclivities, you know, my, my desires and knowing that not only are they not wrong, but they can be used as fuel for creating something unique. And then what you find, and I found this with Kenyon, with our sex talk show. Mm -hmm. We, our show is based on the two of us just interviewing each other. Neither of us, I played a doctor on the show. Uh, and by the way, if, can, we, uh, can we find that if we want to? Is it online yeah, somewhere? Yeah, it's on, I, I, I have a, a YouTube channel called Kenyon and Chris. And um, it's up there. You know, it may not live there forever. But it's up there, and it's just, it's really meant as a comedy, you know. But what we do is kind of the same thing we did with Brad's class, which is we disarm with humor or with a character, and then we get down to the real thing. And before you know it, you're having a really personal discussion, but it's a safe space to do it in. Mm -hmm. um, Kenyon and I were, for the most part, we're the only two on camera, and I would always have a a really cheap little SD cameras or sorry, HD cameras. Mm -hmm. And I set them up in like a three camera master shot to two singles, mm -hmm. you know, in a very classic kind of like between two ferns kind of talk show format. Uh, so it was easy for people like anyone who just tuned in for the, it originally it was supposed to be a YouTube channel only. And what I found was nobody was watching it on YouTube, but people really loved the live performance. And we got a better taping whenever we had an audience. So we would get, have more and more people in the audience. And I would set up the lights and the cameras, but that almost became secondary to, the, to live performance. And so what Kenyon and I would do is we would, without using names, like, like character names for each other or without really referencing the fact that I had a stethoscope around my neck or a suit on or a, a clipboard and I looked like a doctor doing rounds, um, we would present 
whatever the topic of the evening was, whether it was like an evening of firsts, the first kiss, the first blowjob, the first orgasm, the first, you know, intercourse, the first whatever, uh, or uh, mishaps. You know, we had an evening of mishaps where we had, you know, accidents or, you know, misjudgments or whatever. And what did that do? And then Kenyon and I would start by talking to each other about this is what happened to me and this is what happened to you. And what did you, how did you feel about that? Blah, blah, blah. So we kind of throw each other under the bus first and ourselves under the bus on behalf of the audience, which allowed the audience to then open up and start sharing their stories. None of them were on camera unless on the rare occasion we had a guest, like a friend of mine, Natasha Gornick, who was a... Uh, used to be a, a dominatrix who became a, like a erotic photographer. And I shot stuff with her and I photographed her also. And she helped me with some of my stuff too. But, um, but we, before all that, she was a guest on our show and we were also friends and we had been, you know, intimate together at one time so that, you know, we had a familiarity with each other. And then I, we had another friend when we, we, we did one episode in the back of an adult store in, uh, in uh, Williamsburg called Shag. <laughs> and we did, so we had uh, Dirty Lola, who's one of the sex educators and one of the uh, salespeople at the store. She was our guest that night and our co-host. So we had an evening of toys and, and you know, paraphernalia. So we talked about things you buy in a store or things you find around your house that you use as sex props or toys. And, um, you know, Kenyon had some unique stories, but for as tattooed and unique as he was, my stories would sometimes be more eccentric. And part of what we were trying to show was that you can't judge a book by the cover. You know, I was in a suit. I looked, I was really polished up. I, Sometimes I had facial hair or sometimes I was clean shaven and I was very cleaned up looking. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about how I love having women pee on my face or whatever. <laughs> and he'd be like, holy shit, I've never even done that. Or, you know, spanking a pussy or whatever the thing was. And he'd, he, he would be beside himself. And so we were trying to show that you can't, yeah, you can't judge a book by its cover. You, just because he's tatted up, he's never had a drug or a drink in his life. And he's now 45 years old and has a son and is married and is vegan. So it's like wow. you, you can't you – can't, don't assume because he's a lead singer of a band or because he's got giant angel wings tattooed across his entire back that he is some kind of like, you know, antichrist or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's just – he is who he is and I am who I am. So, so – I- I'm curious because you said that you did uh, the wrist class with Brad Calcaterra yep. and then you did uh, sex talk with uh, yep. Kenyon and Chris. Uh, sorry, with Kenyon and Chris or Chris and Kenyon? Uh, Kenyon and Chris. Kenyon and Chris. It just rolled with the tongue better, I thought. Okay. It, yeah. it, it's nice. It goes, it goes from the two syllables into the one. It, yeah. it is nice. I'm just wondering because this sounded like uh, a bit of a relevatory moment for you uh, from a personal standpoint. Did that – influence or change other aspects of your life i would even ask romantically i i'll say that and this is going to sound weird of course poor poor brad is going to be like his his ears going to be ringing for for days and but i've told i've said this to everybody and look it's a class it's it is what it is but for me for that time in my life i felt like it taught me how to be better at being human Hmm. not a better human 
be better at being human. Mm. It's an important distinction because it's about having no shame for what is unique and also learning how to not carry out other people's baggage. You know, we were talking earlier about, you know, uh, comments on news uh, stories or my videos or whatever. And what I learned a lot from that class is that people's, when they come at you with, you know, when they, when the, when the punishment outweighs the, the crime, yes. so to speak, you know, or they come at me with vitriol, that's just their baggage redirected back at me. And I learned, it's not that I'm not going to listen, but I'm going to take it only as for what it is. And quite often that is their own thing that they're throwing back on me or throwing back on the newspaper or the, or, you know, or the New York times or whoever the, whatever the thing is, that's all that is. It's just a mirror. And it, yeah. And it's not, it's not that I shouldn't listen, but I'm only going to take it for what it is. Just like I can't tell anybody how to look at my, my photo shoot. I can't, I don't want to hear what, you know, that they're sticking a, you know, a spatula up their ass and jerking off. I don't care, but I can't tell them not to do that. And I'm not going to even bother trying because that's not my business. But I can know what I intended. And if they see it, great. If they don't, that's not my problem. Not to bring up numbers again. Yep. But you mentioned, of course, that you're 50. Mm -hmm. Is that advice that a younger version of yourself would have taken? Um, I think, yes. I was such a people pleaser. That was the other thing that I learned from Brad's class, to stop being a people pleaser. Because I thought I was being a nice person. And when I learned that I was actually just manipulating other people by trying to please them, I learned that that was a selfish act. And I huh. learned that I, don't, I need to be nice and I need to be genuine. But I don't need to be manipulative and it doesn't serve anybody. It's draining. It's unfair. It doesn't allow everybody to have their own individual needs and opinions. And that, that's the one thing I really took. And that's, that's when I say I, I learned how to be better at being human because I learned to stop. I, I learned what people-pleasing really was because you do an act because you want to do it, not because you want to see people respond to that act. You know, unless you're trying to like set an example, like be a photographer who isn't a creep, you know, or 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 give, you know, the photo shoot that has healing properties, not just great photos, you know. Right. But that's still for them. It's it, it's it's a skill that I want to know that I'm or or a, or a component or a something that I have in me that I'm giving. But I, I want to know that it's working, but I don't need to do it to have the light shine back on me. I just want to know that my reputation is good and that my, that my integrity is intact. It's not, it's not to get some kind of glory out of it. Mm. You know, we have the black lives matter thing going on and, you know, I've, I've kind of stayed out of the way mostly because I'm a 50 year old white man. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm, I, I've learned over the past couple of years that I'm, my opinion doesn't matter that much and that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like I said, I've got Netflix and Amazon Prime. I can just sit and watch TV and I will stay out of everybody's way. And I'm not going to get, you know, the world could move forward, you know. But I have plans of doing things to help out the African-American community 
that I are, you know, that involve photography or they involve other skills that I have to actually offer that are forward moving, but I, I don't need to like, I don't need to shine a light on it. I don't need to tell you specifically what that is because that's, that's a thing that I just want to do to serve and help, you know, and I'm going to do that thing, but I'm not going to make a big deal of it. And I'm, and I may not ever post about it or I might put pictures of it, but I'm not going to talk about it too much. But, you know, that's, that's how those things have to move forward anyway. Mm-hmm. We can't let it, we can't let the ideas die just because, you know, the, the marches have slowed down maybe. Although they haven't. They've kept up, and I've been pretty impressed. I, you know? Yes, absolutely. We, we and, had a, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, you were saying? Oh, no, I had a protest Literally didn't have to travel to. It was right in the corner of my block in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, didn't even know about it. Just stuck my head out the window, and there's a protest on. Throw yeah. on a mask. Go say hi. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. But I also want to do things that are are forward moving, like I said, and I mean those are vital, you know. But absolutely. you know, younger people and people of color have that covered, you know. And I can repost things and I can, you know, cry for that poor violinist kid who just, I can't get over that thing at all. But I don't want to get into that right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that guy who used to play violin for the cats. Oh. I'm sorry. Um, of course. It just sucks. Anyway. Um, but I can I can put forward, like, my skill set and I can use my, the things I'm good at to, to like push forward, you know, and to like, to like be in the background and, and do the thing and, and support the community and go forward with it. And, um, it doesn't need to be, it's for the sake of the movement, not for the sake of the shining the light on it. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, only in that only in that I'm another white guy who's in the fight, you know, perhaps that's important, too. But, you know, it's not about like, hey, look at me. What what do they call that? There's a name for that when people do a thing just for the sake of being seen doing it. It's um, I just heard this. No. Well, yeah, but it's 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 a it's a new term that I just heard. Oh, shit. Um, (laughs) It's like, um, oh, God. I'm going to remember it as soon as we get off this call, but or like three o'clock in the morning, just text me. I'll put it in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 um, it's like, uh, damn it. I wrote it down somewhere too, but I can't remember where I wrote it. It's, it's such a good term. It's, it's, it's this, it's this term. It's probably my notes. Let's see here. It's like, it's like when, damn, I can't find it. I don't know. It's it's like it's like. Oh, I can't find it. I thought I had it in a note somewhere. Um, yeah, it, it was. It but was it, like. What, what, describe it for me, though. What's, well, it's it's almost like it's almost like they 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 accuse, I guess, the Hollywood stars of doing that video where they're like, "I take responsibility for Black Lives Matter," but it's really just about like shining the light on them, saying that they take responsibility for it. Uh, ah, yeah. It's like it's like um, 
Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway. I, I almost feel like if I had to brainstorm this, I would actually just stumble on it, or, or anybody would just stumble on it, because mm-hmm, it seems mm-hmm. so transparent, but I can't think of what it is. Yeah, means. yeah. I mean, basically, it's transparent, though. So, I'll, anyway, whatever. I, I feel like it's narcissism. It's, 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 hey, look at me doing this good thing. Whatever that is, it's the hey, look at me doing this good thing. Hey, no, wait, look over here, look at me. I'm still good. I'm doing a good thing. You see, you see that good thing I'm doing. Yes. It's that thing. So, I feel None like, yeah, I feel like we need to have our integrity and we have to have a good re- reputation. But we need to. The part of the integrity is doing the thing because it's the right thing to do. Yes. You know, and. We don't necessarily and, need to announce a good act. Exactly. Good Whatever act. that thing is called. So it's 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 like you know, just like just like doing the shoots with integrity. I mean, that's just my job anyway. Right. Whether I knew it or not when I got into it, or whether any photographer knows that or not, that is their job. As soon as they sign up to start photographing people, that's their job. Okay, Chris, is there anything so, else you'd like to wrap up with before we say goodbye? No, I think that's it. I mean, I, I think, you know, photography is about the gear to a degree, but then it has to be about the people. Mm-hmm. And you really can't, you can't do it without the people's skills. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have them, get them. How? You know? um, be personable. I don't know. Interact with people. Uh, you know, when... If you just don't have it, then don't do it. And I hate to be negative. I'm just being realistic. Mm-hmm. I think that, and I know, I mean, look, we live in New York City. We're all personable to a degree if we're transplants from another place. You don't come here by accident. Nope. And you don't come here to sit in your basement. No. So we're a unique breed, and I know that. And I'm probably talking to people who don't have skills, um, be true to yourself. I think if you know what you want and kind of stick with that, what is the saying? Don't be, don't be interesting, not interested, maybe. Is that the thing? It's like be interested in what you are thinking and what is on your mind. Be empathetic also and be aware. Like when you're having a conversation with somebody, whether it's a date or just somebody you meet at a party in like a a networking situation, you have to be open to that person. But also, you know, know what your point of view is on some things Mm -hmm. and just be genuine. If you don't have an opinion, don't make something up. You know? (laughs) In this modern, connected age, how dare you, sir? You just yeah. broke a rule of the internet. You have to have an opinion uh, no. about everything. No, I was just listening to Whitney. Cum- Whitney Cummings is my new hero. She's a stand-up comedian, and she had she started a podcast like a year ago or like less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. And she's my hero now because one of the things she said is one of the hottest things that she can hear from a guy is when, I don't know enough about that. I don't have an opinion. <laughs> and And it's true. You know, because her, her, her sidekick, Benton, who's amazing in his own right, he was like, when somebody has an opinion about everything, it, it sucks the life out of a room. You know, when somebody's a know-it-all, mm-hmm. that's not fun. Mm-hmm. Because that's it's so non-empathetic. You're, you're not taking in what's around you, and you're not pacing yourself in conversation with, 
have I said too much? Do I need to give somebody else a turn? There's a there's an inbuilt thing that I think we could have and should have. Maybe we have less of it now because we're in the digital age and we're all just, you know, like you said, commenting on, like blindly commenting and, and, and anonymously commenting on, you know, YouTube videos and news reports and we're safe behind our computer so we don't have to bear the brunt of the retaliation. But mm-hmm. I feel like get out there and, like, interact with people and be present, listen, and then answer. You know, when somebody is, when you're trying to say something and the person's like, right, 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 sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that they're just waiting for their turn to say what they're thinking already. They're not listening. They're not going to respond to your statement. They're just going to, they're just going to say the thing that they were already going to say. Right. They're, they're waiting for you to finish so that they can jump in. Yeah. With the thing they were thinking about five minutes ago. Right. That has nothing to do with what you're saying. So there's an empathy and a, an awareness of things and a presence to it. But, you know, also stand your ground and, and know that your opinion is important mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's why I'm not afraid to put up my, you know, put up my my erotica or say that I like being peed on my face or, or you know, whatever the thing is, you know. I'm, I'm going to put that out there because it's like, what are they going to do, you know? Like, like. Am I going to get arrested? No. no. You know, do I miss out on a date? I don't care. You know, it's yeah. fine. Maybe some people won't shoot with me because they don't like my stuff, but that's okay because I don't, I don't need everyone to like it. I just need the right people to like it. You know, and you can't please everybody all the time because you'll please. What did Brad say? Brad used to say, I'd rather have a room that half loves me and half hates me hmm. than is, you know, kind of a, a mediocre across the board. Thanks, Chris. For more on Chris, head on over to chriscomfortphotography.com. You can also find links to his Instagram, YouTube, and Patreon in the notes of this show. If you'd like to support us, you can check out our Patreon at drinkingwithcreatives.com. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing or downloading on your preferred platform. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.